Good morning, everyone, and a very, very warm welcome to our service this morning. And it's a special service because it's our service of our induction of our new minister, Ian. And we warmly welcome him and Diane and all their family and friends here this morning. It's great to have them here. It's great to have you here. It's great uh, uh, to also to welcome other people who I will introduce uh, during the service. And if you're a visitor at this church for the first time, or you haven't been many times, we warmly welcome you to make sure that we know who you are otherwise we'll put you in the group of Ian's friends and we might miss you so please uh, make yourselves known to us it's great to see uh, friends that we haven't seen for a long time as well who've come to join us like uh, lovely to see Winnie lovely to just call Liz's eye there so uh, it's great to have them and other people with us uh, this morning for this service we want this to be a service of real praise I want this to be a service where God might be prepared for God speaking to you this morning. And it's just great to be here. Let's start our service by, uh, I'm going to read to you Psalm 100. But after each verse, I would like you to say uh, loud and clear, praise the Lord our God. Praise the Lord our God. That's your line. I always sort of forget those things when people say them, but everyone else seems to remember them all right. So it's praise the Lord our God. Sing to the Lord, all the world. Worship the Lord with joy. Come before him with happy songs. Praise the Lord our God. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people. We are his flock. Praise the Lord our God. Enter the temple gates with thanksgiving. Go into its courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise him. Praise the Lord our God. The Lord is good. His love is eternal and his faithfulness lasts forever. Praise the Lord our God. And we're going to do that by singing our first hymn together. And, um, and if you'd like to stand to sing, and you'll find it on the front, at the front or on your song sheets, it's Great Is Your Faithfulness.
please be seated. It's amazing that we can come into God's presence. And we're going to do that in prayer now. And I've invited five people from the congregation just to lead our prayers uh, 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 at this time. So let's just be quiet and then our five friends will just lead us. Lord God, our Father, we come to you with thanksgiving and praise for the joy of answered prayer in the appointment of Ian Forsyth to pastor our church. Thank you, Lord, for the varied experiences that Ian has had during these years of preparation as he comes to us at Milford Baptist Church. We pray that Ian will lead with discernment and sensitivity that you will strengthen, guide, and gift him in the pastoral ministry so that this church will glorify your name. We ask that Ian and Diane will quickly feel a sense of love and belonging amongst us. Move your church, we pray, in grace, to unity in the spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you that you are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, you Almighty God, and yet you loved us so much that you sent your only Son to die on the cross that we might be forgiven and know eternal life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonder of that love that we can never fully appreciate, that we can never deserve, and yet is poured out on us day by day. And we thank you for your promise never to leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Amen. Father God, as we enter this new chapter in our church's evolution, we thank you for bringing Ian and Diane to us, and we pray that you will bless them inspire them and support them in their new ministry. And Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the amazing commitment and hard work that our church leadership team has selflessly given over the past 18 months, guiding us, teaching us, and enriching our worship. Lord, we praise you for bringing us all this, and we thank you. We praise your holy name. Amen. Amen. Lord Father God, we humbly receive your gift of love, grace and mercy. We walk in joy because the life Jesus has given us is unsurpassable. Your spirit energises our spirit as we follow your ways. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning humbled by your grace and provision for this church and the community around us. We praise your name this morning as we welcome Diane and Ian Forsyth and his family and friends amongst us today. We pray your richest blessing, peace and joy on them in their new surroundings as they become part of our church family. 
We pray too that you open our hearts to the word that you place on Ian's heart, that we may see more of you. Amen. 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 We're going to sing two songs now, and the first one just sets exactly what should be at the center of us, at the center of our vision, center of our hope, center of our song, center of our light. Jesus be the center, and then we'll move on to sing Build Your Kingdom Here. Let's stand and praise God.
Please be seated. Um, we very wa- warmly welcome friends who've come from different places and from different churches. And uh, so a big warm welcome to you too. And uh, there'll be an opportunity uh, to bring greetings from your particular church uh, at a later time. Um, and now we're moving to... I don't really want to say the more formal part of the service because it has a certain formality to it, but it is the part where uh, we make some serious promises. Um, And really everyone's going to be involved in that, but uh, primarily it will be Ian. And so if Ian and Diane would like to come up now. And leading us through this is the person who's been helping and guiding us over the last 18 months, two years, Um, and that is... uh, the Reverend Stuart Davison, who's our regional minister. So I'll hand over to Stuart now. Thank you, Stuart. Yeah, good morning. If I'd known you were singing that one, I'd have brought my Boron in. I mean, <laughs> it's good to be here on such a great, exciting day. I always find... Anybody else have this problem? Parking around here? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I come here, I end up parking miles away. I need the exercise, but even so. Um, there's a church in Edinburgh that has solved this, and you might need to take note of this. They have a sign-up that says, Clergy Parking Only, for a special place. Is that five miles away? No, no, it's right outside the church. It says, Clergy Parking Only, you park, you preach. <laughs> Actually, there was a, a, a bishop who came, who'd heard there was a new minister, a new curate, as it happened, had come onto his patch, so he went to hear him, because he'd heard he was a good preacher, and he turned up, you know, in mufti, he left his mitre behind, and, uh, and he was sitting there, and uh, the guy was preaching, and he thought, this is good stuff, and then he got to this point in the sermon where he said, uh, you know, I have a confession to make, I have spent some of the happiest times of my life in the arms of a woman who was not my wife, and the church went silent. And the bishop thought, oh, no, <laughs> new guy on the patch, I've got a problem already. And then the guy said, I mean, of course, my mother. <laughs> oh, and the bishop thought, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that one. So sometime later at the cathedral, they had a big um, mothering service. Uh, the Women's Legion were there. And, and uh, so he got into this sermon and he thought, right, I'll drop this one in now. This will go down well, so. I have the confession as your bishop to, to tell you that I've spent some of the happiest times of my life in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. Well, you could have heard a hat pin drop. Across the cathedral, total stunned silence. And they were looking at the bishop, and the bishop slowly glazed over. He said, and for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. <laughs> We come to that part of the service where we have a story to tell. <laughs> now, you, the members of Milford Baptist Church, have called Ian Forsyth to be your pastor. And believing this call to be of God, he has accepted and comes now to be inducted into this office. At this significant time in the life of both church and minister, I invite you all to renew your commitment to Christ and this church as together you share in God's mission of saving love to the world. But first, there is this story to tell. So we shall hear how God has led both church and minister to issue and accept this call. So first of all, we hear of what's been going on in the church here from Ed. 
Good morning, all. So, Milford Baptist Church, NBC, our viewpoint. In the event, our NBC interregnum has lasted for over one and a half years. In the initial period, without a minister, our leaders focused on ensuring stability and continuity for NBC. Individuals in the fellowship took on more, and we survived well in the circumstances. So it's a huge thanks that we give to all NBCers who contributed. It really has been appreciated. After a few months, our search for a pastor team got going with members from the leadership team and from the body of the church, working, of course, on behalf of the fellowship as a whole. The composition of the team varied over time with people's availability, and we're very, very grateful to all who contributed. So, over the course of a year, we considered over 40 candidates. About half were nominations arising from the Baptist Union settlement system. And we do thank Stuart, thank you very much Stuart, um, for Stuart's facilitation of that process from the Baptist Union side. The other half of the applicants uh, were people who responded to our external advertisements for a minister. We used the premier job search site. So we had over 40 potentials to consider over a period of about a year. Email, telephone clarifications, face-to-face -face discussions, interviews. Some were invited for a first preach so the entire fellowship could be involved. Some declined because they didn't feel um, it was right after reflection. Others came and preached, but then we really didn't think there was a fit. It's all been a two-way process of the MBC Fellowship learning about the candidates and the candidates learning about MBC. It really isn't at all like the outside world where the employer draws up a short list of candidates, just chooses the best of the bunch at a particular point in time. In our process, both church and potential minister have been prayerfully seeking the Lord's will. That can take time and it has taken time in our case. Ian, in fact, came to our attention as a response to what was our second external advert in March of this year. We took things from there and the relationship developed. Was there something special about Ian's application or about Ian as an individual? Well, undoubtedly so, lots of special things, but maybe different special things for different people in the fellowship. But more importantly, we gradually discerned that there was a fit, that the Lord's will was that NBC should have Ian as our minister, and that the Lord wanted Ian in church-based ministry here at NBC. Our meeting of the whole membership resolved to invite Ian to be our pastor. Ian accepted. That's why we're here. We believe it's the Lord's will. Ian and Diane, we're so pleased you accepted our call we welcome you. Now I'm going to invite uh, Andrew to come and tell another part of the story, please. Good morning. First of all, let me bring you greetings from Oundle Baptist Church. Um, a number of us have come up from uh, Oundle, down from Oundle, this, this morning to, to share in, in today. Um, Realising that I'm south of Watford, 
Um, you may not know where Oundle is. Um, Oundle sits in the northeast corner of Northamptonshire. Uh, and it was in Northamptonshire 200 odd years ago that William Carey and Andrew Fuller first set up the Baptist Missionary Society to send missionaries out to heathen places. And uh, <laughs> at OBC, we're very proud today that we're continuing that tradition <laughs> in uh, sending Ian and Diane to the benighted parts of Surrey. It says in, in the programme that I'm supposed to give you the story from Ian and Diane's viewpoint. That, that's quite difficult because only really Ian and Diane can do that. But what I can do is to say really why, from Oundle's point of view, we're not surprised to be here today. Oundle Baptist Church started 25 years ago. We had our 25th anniversary in the summer. And although Ian and Diane were not part of Oundle Baptist Church right at the beginning, they've been a, a key part of the life of that fellowship for 23 years, is that right? Oh, dear man and boy. <laughs> During that time, they've served uh, in, in many different capacities. Ian served as an elder on two occasions. Diane has done a tremendous amount of work, and, and her particular gifts in recent years have been in the areas of safeguarding, and we're really going to miss that. We shall be short of risk assessments and all sorts over the next, um, the next few years until we get back into the, uh, into the swing of things. And for a number of us who've come this morning... Ian and Diane have been a particular part of our Monday night Bible study group, our cell group, which we now call the Connect Group. And I think that's why so many of us have come, because over uh, the, the last few years, we've got to know Ian and Diane really very well in our discussions on a Monday night. And Ian and Diane have shared much of their own experiences uh, through their Christian life uh, in, in our times of fellowship on, on a Monday evening. And what we've learned is that Ian and Diane, as a couple, have always been sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Not just to the leading of the Spirit, but have been prepared to act on that. Even though on a number of occasions when they've acted, it's taken them into situations that have not been easy for them, from a personal point of view, from a family point of view, and from a church point of view. They are to us an example of those words from Jeremiah 29, that they know the God who has a plan for them. But they also know that that God's plan is to give them a future and a hope. And that prompting, as you've heard, has already led them to, to hear, uh, to, to accept your call in Milford to be their pastor. And as they start that journey, we want to assure you in Milford of the continued prayers of OBC through your time here. And we want to assure Ian and Diane that the Monday night group will continue to support them and to pray for them. We wish you all God's blessing. Thank you, Andrew. Maybe I could just reassure you that it's not the darkest part of the world. Um, being, it's, actually, it's actually quite an exciting time in the southeast, just to encourage you as you come into the area. Um, in the last uh, five and a half years uh, in Seba, we've had uh, 11 new churches. And uh, by the end of this year, that'll be 12. Uh, and uh, so we're planting churches. We're seeing new churches coming into being, other churches wanting to join us as a family. So it's an exciting time. I believe we're also going to be uh, part of the turning in Sussex, uh, which is part of the patch, um, shortly. And... Uh, 
So there's a lot going on. We have a day of prayer coming up when we're calling the association to prayer and a weekend of prayer before the end of the year. So I believe we're at a very important time. You've come here, Ian, at a very important time for God's purposes in the southeast. So I welcome you personally. But now I'm going to welcome you to come and tell your story. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> well, my story is really very simple. Um, it's all about faith, and it's all about trusting in God. I trained at the Irish Baptist College in Belfast uh, when our children were very so, so young, Andrew, Matthew and David. We went to uh, Stamford uh, as a part-time minister, and uh, after that, uh, I then went to uh, Cambridge where I did some training to do a PGCE. And then became an RE teacher. I've been teaching for about 20 years, uh, which included chaplaincy at a boarding school and a chaplain at the London Olympics. And behind what uh, Stuart and Andrew and uh, Ed have said, there's always been that call again, and I've said this to the church, I want to finish well. We've always been open, both Diane and I, to moving back into church ministry. But during OBC's interregnum, when John Singleton was speaking, God nudged both Diane and I and said to us both independently, now is the time. And we looked at each other and it was as if now is the time. So we both left that church that morning and we met up with John Singleton and he advised us to push some doors and that's what we did. So we kept things confidential, and by talking to both John and to Philip and to Martin, our new minister at Andal Baptist Church. How was we looking over a period of time at the premier job site? And after a while in March, I saw that Milford Baptist Church was looking for a pastor. Having left Guildford, though, to go to Bible College, and having grown up in Guildford, I looked at the website again to find out a little bit more about Milford Baptist Church. And I happened to listen to a sermon by Andy Kitto, who I had been on a youth camp with many years ago, a very familiar voice. After prayer, we both thought, and I thought too, that I would put an application into Milford Baptist Church, knowing that due to the restrictions in the teaching world, that can, when you have to leave a post, not really thinking that things would happen quite so quickly. But following the application, Ed Stanton asked to ring me the following weekend. And then we were invited to visit to preach on Palm Sunday before going away for three days for a short break to celebrate our wedding anniversary of 30 years. We found the church warm and welcoming and somewhere that we could make our spiritual home. In one of our many, many meetings with the church, I came across and I listened very carefully to this young man called Brian. And Brian asked me a question. He said, Ian, do you have any other options? And I said to Brian, I said, Diane and I could open up a bed and breakfast in Scotland. <laughs> To which Brian replied, you're not going there to do that. 
But all sorts of answered prayers have come through many of you. In every step, there was a real peace. And there has been no anxiety about moving forward. We sensed, both Diane and I, that Milford could be where God would want us to be and were therefore happy for things to proceed to the next step. Surprise, surprise, I was invited back to preach with a view in mid-May. On the second visit, we quickly connected with the church and again left believing that this is where God was calling us. Back in April, Diane gave to me a glass paperweight with a verse from Jeremiah. Twenty-nine verse eleven. For I know what I have the plans for you, declares the Lord. Then, to my surprise, in July, just before leaving the King's School, I got the same verse in a thank you card from a Year Nine student. And finally, from me this morning about my story. As you can imagine, there've been so many answers to prayer over this last few weeks and months. It doesn't. I cannot do it justice this morning. But finally on the first Sunday, two days after we moved, Martin preached on getting out of the boat to be with Jesus and the importance of taking action on God's call. A real confirmation of us being here at the Milford Baptist Church. Christians are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to follow in his way. Ian, as a Christian minister, you are first a disciple of Christ. And so I ask you to affirm afresh your faith and trust in God, a faith which you have already confessed in baptism. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, and do you confess Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord? I do. Ian, you've been called to be the pastor of this church and congregation. Do you accept the charge from Christ to care for his people with all diligence and compassion? Will you lift up the weak, bring Christ's healing to the brokenhearted, lift up the downcast, and pray regularly for those committed to your care? I will, God's Spirit empowering me. Will you equip the saints for the work of ministry or building up the body of Christ? Will you lead and enable God's people in their mission to the world, seeking God's kingdom, proclaiming the gospel in word and deed, and seeking to make Christ known in every way? I will, the risen Christ inspiring me. Will you make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? By your example, will you lead this church in all godly living and devotion to Christ, 
through prayer and the reading of scripture? Will you be faithful in the leading of worship, communion services, and in your preaching of God's message? In the name of God, who is the Father of all, and the living word, and the spirit of unity, I will. Diane, please come. Diane, you have heard the promises made by Ian today. Will you join in that commitment to Christ and his people? promising to support and encourage him in his ministry in this church and community. I will. And now can I ask the leadership team and the three other leaders who are going to be praying to come forward, please. Would you two like to come to the front? in a minute they need to gather round right okay so a question for these church leaders if you're paying attention please do you believe you have been called by God to work together humbly and willingly in serving this church and community we do do you promise to honour and respect one another doing nothing from vain conceit but in humility regarding others as better than yourselves and do you promise to work with the members of this church in its calling to seek the kingdom of God? We do. And now can I invite all members of the church here to stand up, please. Because I have some questions for you. My sisters and brothers, a new chapter in the life of this church is opened today. I invite you now to renew your commitment to Christ and this church, to affirm again the vows of your baptism. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and do you confess Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord? We do. Do you accept and welcome Ian as your minister, and do you promise to honour and support him with your love and prayers, working together with him in your shared calling to witness to Christ in this place. Paul the Apostle says, You were bought with a price. Will you serve Jesus Christ as Lord, bearing witness to him and daily taking up your cross to follow him? Amen. And now may I invite everyone else in the congregation to stand as well, please. If you're able. <laughs> As representatives of the wider church and community, will you offer your support at this new beginning in the life of church and minister, and will you join in praying for them all? Thank you. You may be seated, unless you're at the front. And if you'd like to gather around, we're now going to pray for Ian and Diane, which will include laying on of hands, which is the the New Testament model that we're given of how to pray for one another. So let us pray. Somewhere there's a microphone. Yeah. Can I come to the front? It's on there. Is that on, John? This one's on, isn't it? Yeah. Merciful God, whose steadfast love is renewed every morning, we give you thanks for this day of new beginnings in the life of this minister and his family, and for this new chapter in the, story of, in the story of this church. 
You have led pastor and people together, guiding them by your spirit, and we ask that your guiding and strengthening hand will remain upon them as together they enter this covenant partnership with you for the sake of the gospel. For Ian, we pray that you will renew within him the gifts and graces of your Holy Spirit, that he may lead a life worthy of the calling of Christ. So fill him with your spirit, that he may lead those committed to his charge in proclaiming the gospel of Christ, and together with all your people—excuse <coughs> me—with all your people, serve Christ and His world in all compassion and faithfulness. Fill him with wisdom, understanding, and strength, and keep from him all evil, error, arrogance, and self-seeking that he may set the believers an example in conduct, speech, love, faith, and purity. And for your church here, we pray that the mutual love and trust expressed today might grow through all the chances and changes of this life. Help all who gather here in the name of Christ to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that together they might become for all to see a letter of Christ written with the spirit of the living God. Prosper all that is the work of your spirit, that the members of this church may be blessed and given to your world in costly service and fruitful ministry, to your praise and glory. This we ask in the name of the ascended and interceding Christ. Amen. Amen. Our Father God, we just pray right now that you would just be filling Ian right up with your Holy Spirit, that you would be anointing him in a very special way for the work that we can see clearly you have chosen for him to do. Lord, we thank you for him. Lord, we pray that you will use the gifts that he has and give him new gifts for supporting us. We pray that he will be a person who can bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free, and Lord, just lead all of us into a closer walk with you, as well as spreading the wonderful good news of Jesus uh, into our villages and wider around. We pray this for him. We pray it too for Diane as she walks with him every step of the way. Lord, we just thank you so much and just bless him today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for Ian's faithfulness, for the way he was willing to step out of the boat and to walk in faith, focusing on you. Heavenly Father, we just praise and glorify your holy name. We want your will to happen, Lord, not our own. Lord, you know I've long prayed for revival. We pray, Lord, that you will use Ian in that. Use him here, Lord, in this community, in this village, and just through the power of your Holy Spirit, make wonderful things happen. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for bringing Ian to us. Um, We thank you that he has had such a a wonderful, rich and fulfilled um, history before coming here. We thank you for all the work that he's done with children and young people and for everyone that he's known and for all the people at Andal and how uh, through him 
um, through you, he has been a blessing. And we um, pray for all the things that haven't even started happening yet. We thank you so much for all the, the, the future ahead of us and all the wonderful things that will come um, through Ian from you. Yes, Lord. Amen. But I pray for Ian that you will give him your wisdom, that he won't rely on his own strength and his own insight, but that he'll receive words from you, Lord. Lord, we pray that when he doesn't know the way to go, you'll make it clear. We pray, Lord, that you'll give him discernment, to discern good from evil, right from wrong, the better way from the poor way. Lord, we just pray that you will lead him forward. And I pray, Lord, that you will give him encouragement in his role. We thank you, Lord, for his tender heart, his caring heart, and we pray, Lord, that that will be protected. He won't receive masses of discouragement, but masses of encouragement in his role. And as a church, may we make his role in our church a joy and not a burden for him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Heavenly Father, you inspired the prophet Joel to write, I will pour out my spirit on both men and women who will dream dreams and see visions. Lord, you have poured out your spirit. You have done this many times throughout the Bible right up until today. So now, Lord, I pray for Ian. Fill him, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill, Lord, every hole in his heart. Take away previous pain and suffering and fill him, Lord, with joy and love. May he dream dreams and catch your vision. Lord, for the work needed here in Milford, May your love, Lord, flow through him and into this community. May he be inspired, Lord, and bubbling over with your Holy Spirit of love for everyone he meets. Amen. Father God, thank you for Ian and for Diane, for the journey that they have been on and the gifts that they have discovered. We know that you have much more still to thrill them with, challenge them with. Mm -hmm. And so we ask your spirits to come upon them and seal the prayers that have been prayed. Mm. We pray for their home, that they will, it will be a place of peace and security, mm. where they will laugh together, <laughs> and also where they are secure enough to cry together. Mm. Because we know that pastoral ministry has a burden attached to it. May they be there for each other as they find you are there for them. And Father, in praying for them, we pray for the church in this village. For we recognize that Jesus only has one church, even though we put our labels on our bits. And so may your church experience an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in these days that many will come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We look to you to do mighty things, building on that which has gone before, but taking your people here into a new and exciting future. For the glory of Jesus. Amen. 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 <laughs> May I have your hand, Diane? <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. We do the official bit. Ian, in the next... Oh. Ian, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the name of the Baptist Union of Great Britain and on behalf of this church, I declare you inducted in the pastorate of this church and congregation. As you lead the people of God and care for them, as you serve and pray for this community, may the Lord richly bless and sustain you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You're in. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> let's, let's all join in blessing both Ian and Diane. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. There are actually uh, two members of our church family who uh, would very much like to be here uh, this morning, and uh, they are uh, Jason and Claire Stonia. And Jason and Claire, as you perhaps already know, are our two mission partners who are currently working in Zambia uh, with our charity from this church, which is called Mechanics for Africa. And they have written, Claire has actually written uh, to you a message of greeting and just praying that God's peace and power will be upon you. I think you've received that email as well, which is great. And, oh, that's great. And uh, uh, they have received the email. And, and the great thing is, by the way, that uh, Jason and Claire have invited, uh, they really want to get to know Ian and Diane very well and have invited them out to Zambia. So uh, goodness knows when we'll be buying those tickets, but it'll be a very important and exciting trip for you. So was, I thought it was really important we mentioned Jason and Claire uh, in our service this morning. We don't just want to... Uh, do that formal part today. We want to listen to what God is saying to us today. And uh, so Martin Hills, we warmly welcome Martin. Martin is the minister of the Andal uh, Baptist Church, and he's going to give our reading from Acts. Can I just say it's great to be here today, and it's a privilege to be involved and share with you in this service and uh, it's been really great to see how God's hand has been at work in both uh, Ian and Diane's life and the life of this church in bringing you both together. Ian, I won't take it personally that you've left so soon after my ministry started, but there we go. I will miss your laughter though. Our reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 16 and going through to Acts chapter 21 and verse 1. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears 
and in the midst of serving testing by the plots of the Jews. Sorry, of severe testing by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of everyone. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, some will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Cos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a great uh, pleasure to have um, the Reverend Philip Warburton with us. And Philip is a retired Baptist minister who's a member of Arundel Church. And I know he's been a huge influence on Ian and Diane and a great counsellor for them. So we warmly welcome uh, Philip, uh, who's going to speak to us now. And uh, uh, just be in prayer for Philip because he's got a rotten cold and it's sort of affecting his voice as well. So uh, we're in prayer for you for that too. Let's just pray for Philip as he uh, comes up. Our loving Father, we do pray for Philip now. Lord, we just pray that his voice will hold up. And Lord, we thank you that you have a message for Ian and Diane and for all of us. And we pray that we will listen and be prepared to be changed people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
to apologise for that uh, uh, hitch. It's always important for a minister or a preacher to be switched on. <laughs> Thank you for the warmth of your welcome and for the immense privilege of preaching at this induction service for my good friend Ian and Diane. Uh, Paul, the intrepid missionary of the New Testament church, was on his way to Jerusalem when he decided to stop at Miletus on the southwest tip of the country of Turkey. And uh, while there, he, he called together the pastoral leaders of the churches in the region of Ephesus to have a final word with them about their responsibilities, recalling some of the valuable lessons he himself had learned as a leader among them. And in so doing, he throws a searchlight which not only illumines four vital areas of pastoral ministry, but also uh, exposes many of those creative tensions as well as the subtle temptations which arise among pastor and people all of which makes it an ideal focus for a momentous occasion, such as an induction service, a new dawn, with so many opportunities beckoning. And the first area of ministry to be caught in the beam of Paul's searchlight is the pastor's work as a servant of the Lord. In Acts 20, verse 19, he says, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And here is the master principle, the distinguishing mark of leadership in the Christian church, preoccupied not with status, not with authority, but with humble service. I don't remember many of the details of my ordination service, which is hardly surprising since it uh, occurred 55 years ago. <laughs> but one thing I do recall, I, I'm a small man, but I never felt smaller than on the day I made those searching ordination vows. I mean spiritually small, minuscule in the light of God's glory and grace, thinking, who am I? to be called to such awesome responsibility as caring for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Small too, ever so small, against the vastness of human need I would confront in that role. Into my youthful enthusiasm of those days came a real sense of inadequacy to meet the challenge of it. But I'm now convinced that that sense of smallness and inadequacy was the best of all legacies I could have taken from that ordination. Because time and time again, it's compelled me to cry out to the Lord in the words of the old hymn, I am weak but thou art mighty, hold me with thy powerful hand. And he has done so 
every time, without fail. Samuel Brengel, one time leader of the Salvation Army, was once introduced at an important convention as the great Dr. Brengel. If I appear great in your eyes, he replied, the Lord is most graciously showing me I am not. Oh, he uses me, but that's just it. He uses me. The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing <coughs> but for the woodsman. He bought it. He sharpened it. He wields it. And without him, <coughs> excuse me, you know the punchline anyway, he can do nothing. pastor is the servant of the Lord. And as Jesus pointed out on so many occasions, by both word and example, our service for him is worked out in the serving of others. <coughs> in Mark chapter 10, verses 44 and 45, he says, whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. On another occasion, the cross loomed large before him. He had only a few hours left to spend with the tiny group of disciples in which he had invested so much of himself, and to which he will entrust the leadership of the fledgling church. How will he use those precious moments? How best can he convey to them the essentials of their task? John 13, verses 4 and 5 says, So, how important is that little word, so? So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel round his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. My friends, that foot washing was a servant's task. The towel round the waist was a slave's uniform. His kneeling to carry out those duties was a servant-slave posture. Why did Jesus do it? One reason was to fasten in the hearts and minds of his disciples a lesson in leadership they would never, ever forget. In verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter, he says firmly, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. The Christian leadership is servant leadership. Now, please don't misunderstand me. 
as well as being a servant, the pastor has some authority uh, as a leader. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 7 urges us all, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 has a similar emphasis. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Obey, submit, respect, regard, authority over you. I don't know about Milford Baptist Church, but I'm quite sure that these words and phrases are enough to have many self-respecting, independently-minded, congregationally-governed Baptists across our denomination reaching for their smelling salts. <laughs> Yet here they are, in the Word of God, tumbling over each other to make a powerful appeal to every Christian congregation to encourage their leaders to lead. A bishop, you've heard perhaps enough bishop stories today, but uh, <laughs> and, and some of my, I want to assure you, some of my best friends are bishops. <laughs> a, a, a bishop uh, tells how he visited a church and talked to a long-serving church warden who had outlasted five vicars. You must have seen many changes during a long service, observed the bishop. Yes, I have, replied the warden, drawing himself up to his full height, and I've opposed every one of them. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's not only my denomination which has the problem. Uh, of course, there are times when authority must be challenged to explain itself, to give an account of its actions. But when it becomes a mindset like that, it poses its own threat, not just to its leaders, but to the whole church. Both the passages I read a moment ago emphasize that leaders should be obeyed and respected because of their work, so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be no advantage to you. Part of my task in the Baptist family over the years has been to care for pastors. It is always sad to meet one whose leadership is spurned. The joy, all gone. The work, a burden. Pastors who've become overcautious, wary, defensive, no longer the visionaries, the agents of change, the gift enablers they were meant to be. Sadly, like the Duke of uh, Blasotoro, of Gilbert and Sullivan notori notoriety, uh, who, who uh, preferred to lead his regiment from behind because it was less exciting there. These once brave, uh, dynamic leaders Men and women of faith are now concerned mainly with survival. Not only they themselves, but the whole church suffers because it is deprived of the necessary dynamics of leadership and growth. Yes, the pastor has authority, 
only because he or she is a person under authority. That authority must be respected. But the scriptures are so beautifully balanced, and just as so no pastor should get the idea that he's a law unto himself, God says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 14, be shepherds of God's flock, which is under your care, serving as overseers, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. John Stott, the Anglican Bible teacher, commenting on these verses says, Christian leadership is not power but love, not force but example, not coercion but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is only safe in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. My prayer for you all on this great day is that pastor and people will preserve this beautiful balance as you move forward together. And you know that I've used that term, beautiful balance, uh, twice already. That's because when churches get it right, it really is something beautiful to behold. A reflection of the character of the heart of Jesus himself. The evidence of the fruit of his spirit at work in the life of pastor and people. So the pastor then is a servant of the Lord. In fact, the servant of all. I read an article by a colleague a little while ago, and it said the trouble with the, 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 the expression servant leadership is that when it's mentioned, people hear the word leadership uh, loud and clear. Well, I want you to hear the word servant loud and clear this morning. Uh, and God uh, bless you. Now, the, the next, theme, uh, next uh, beam of Paul's searchlight on the pastor is as a preacher of the word. In verse 20, the apostle says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. While in verse 27, he adds, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. In other versions of the New Testament, the phrase is translated, I did not shrink, or I, I did not shun these tasks, which adds the impression that pastoral preaching uh, may sometimes be a tough assignment. And two temptations, it seems, uh, made their demands on Paul. And the first was to, was to duck challenging issues. I did not shrink, he says, from preaching anything that would be helpful. I know exactly what he means. I've been in the study wrestling with the word of God and looking at a passage of scripture over and over again. I believe that the Lord has led me there, but I'm praying fervently, Lord, do you want me to preach that? Can I leave that verse for some other time? Why? Because I know it will confront an issue in the church head on. I will not shrink. That's the bottom line. But it's not easy. It's all right for the visiting preacher. He can hit and run. 
but the local pastor must constantly wrestle with the fitness of, of the thing in his own situation. I'm not talking here about broadcasting matters that might be interpreted as an attack on one person or a small group of people in the congregation. Paul is careful to add that uh, he not only preached publicly, but taught house to house. He wasn't uh, hiding behind his pulpit, six feet above contradiction. He went to people's homes and talked one-on-one, -on -one, which is the right thing to do with delicate issues. The second temptation Paul faced, it seems, is to ride hobby horses, to combine the preaching and teaching to a narrow range of subjects to the exclusion of others. I did not shrink, he says, from proclaiming to you the whole will of God. Now, that's a hard thing to do. Do you know, pastor, a member of the congregation once said to me, I've heard you preach a thousand times. I thought, my word, do they count them? <laughs> a thousand times. But it set me thinking of the 10,000 hours or more of preparation, of prayer, of wide reading, of disciplined study of God's word required to preach to the same congregation in season, out of season, over many years so that God's people are fed a healthy, balanced diet of doctrinal, devotional, evangelistic, missional, moral, and ethical preaching, the whole counsel of God. But preaching is not merely the performance of half an hour, nor the, prep the preparation of half a week, but the outflow of a whole life. It may take 20 years to make a sermon uh, because it takes 20 years to make the preacher ready to preach it. The pastor's soul is the crucible in which God's message is formed. The word of God, the essential ingredient, is, is ground in with all the other stuff. The struggles, the hurts, the failures, the adventures, the joys, the hopes and the victories and the unfailing presence of our wonderful Lord through it all. Everything stirred by the Holy Spirit is melded together in the crucible in which God's business with his people is refined and from there poured into the mold which we call the sermon. But you know the congregation too has a massive part to play in this drama. In fact, the New Testament uses the word partnership to depict that joint responsibility. And on this day of new beginnings, I appeal for a new and firm commitment to that partnership. It can be worked out in several ways. First of all, through prayer. Pray for your pastor as a preacher, please. Ephesians 6, verse 19, Paul writes to the church, Pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Jonathan Edwards, not the triple jumper, not my old friend and colleague, 
the one-time General Secretary of the Baptist Union. But a famous preacher of yesteryear said, if some Christians that have complained about their minister's preaching had said less to men and women and applied themselves with all their might to cry to God for their preachers, had risen and stormed heaven with humble, fervent, and incessant prayers for them, they would be vastly more fruitful. And the second plea is, encourage your pastor as a preacher. I noticed on your website that in your mission statement, the word encourage is given uh, real significance, and uh, I, I, I rejoiced at that. Mark Twain said that he could live for two months on a good compliment. I tell you, I, I, I preach much better for two months on a well-placed, simple word of encouragement. But a word of caution. I read recently a list of things said to a fellow pastor by members of the fellowship at the end of the service. And all of them, presumably, intended to be encouraging. Thank you, Pastor. You always manage to find something to fill up the time. <laughs> Pastor, if I'd known you were going to be so good today, I'd have brought my neighbor. <laughs> and of course, the coup de grace. Pastor, I don't care what they say. I like your preaching. <laughs> no, 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 no. The kind of encouragement I find mine is not a hurried comment as you shake hands as you leave the church, but an occasional, simple, considered appreciation. Like the email I received recently, which said, I just wanted you to know that something you said on Sunday about the Lordship of Christ helped me at work this week. Thank you. How long did it take to send that email? Five minutes max? But what an encouragement it was to me. I couldn't wait to get into the pulpit the following Sunday. But let me tell you of a letter of a different kind. It began, Dear Philip, you are not remember me, it's 17 years since my husband and I came on holiday to Swanage and visited your church there. Our main reason for that holiday was to have some quiet time to reflect on whether we should adopt two young boys into our family. Although you couldn't possibly have known, you spoke that day on being adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. And our eyes were open to the Lord's great big bursting heart of love for us, which helped us in our decision. The reason I'm writing to you today, 17 years on, is because I've just taken the older of those two boys we adopted to theological college to begin his training for the pastoral ministry. And I thought you should know my friends, none of that had anything to do with me. I was in complete ignorance about why that couple were there 
and remained so for the whole of the 17-year period until I received that letter. I didn't even know them. But what an encouragement to know that the Holy Spirit can take our words uttered innocently or in ignorance and use them to fulfill his own glorious purposes. What a reminder to us as preachers of that most encouraging biblical principle, Paul may plant, Apollos may water, but it is God who makes things grow. We don't preach to get encouragement, but we need it. Heaps and heaps and heaps of it. Whether it takes five minutes or 17 years, will you make it your business to give it? It will be, I assure you, infinitely more fruitful than any criticism you could possibly offer. But now Paul throws his beam on the minister as a shepherd of the flock. In verse 28 he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. Now here's a man who knows the job uh, I've been doing for some years inside out, who knows how easy and how common it is for a preacher to be so immersed in his work, so involved in the lives of others, that he puts himself and sometimes his loved ones at risk. Jesus once said, after performing a miracle of healing, power has gone out from me. As we preach and pastor, power goes out from us too. Paul here is pointing up the peril of pouring our spiritual energies into ministering to others without stopping from time to time to refuel ourselves. Stop we must. It's a command from God actually. Stop we must to factor in to our busy schedules time for physical rest and refreshment and to watch carefully our devotional lives, guard those oases of quiet and stillness in green pastures beside still waters. When we come to the scriptures, not as teachers, but as learners, not, uh, not just looking for something to say to others, but determined to miss nothing that God has to say to us. The alternative, the long-range result of running on empty can prove catastrophic, both for pastor and people. Take care of yourselves, Ian and Dan. Take care of yourselves. The Lord requires it. And the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer. I'm reminded of Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. What a wonderful job this is. Is there anything to compare with it on the face of the earth? How privileged we are to be so close to people, 
to enjoy their confidence, to feel their hurts, to rejoice in their fruitfulness, to hold them tight through times of adversity, to share their secrets, to defend them from predators, to wash their feet, and sometimes to be invited to become honorary members of their families simply because we have been with them in the highs and lows of their lives. Now, I have experienced Ian and Diane's shepherd care. When I retired some 15 years ago, after 41 years of pastoral ministry, I had huge adjustments to make. New home, new church, new area, and a new task. I had to learn to be a good church member again. <laughs> and Ian and Diane were my home group leaders. And uh, I can't tell you how much we valued their time with, uh, our time with them. They probably will never know. But it's an adjustment period. I thank God for their faithfulness to God's word. And uh, I thank them chiefly for their pastoral care for Margaret and me. There's a tough side, though, to pastoral care. Paul speaks here of savage wolves. The words Jesus used to describe false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing who draw away disciples uh, after them. So be on your guard, the apostle says. The call is to constant watchfulness because you see you're watching over the most valuable of God's possessions. Be shepherds of the church of God, says Paul, which he bought with his own blood. Is there a higher price that could be paid than that? Could there be anything more precious, therefore, to him than the life and witness of his church? And so I urge you, pastor and people, keep a high view of the church. Oh, you will have a high view of it when times are going well, when things are going swimmingly. But uh, I'm thinking about those times when perhaps the church as a whole doesn't uh, live up to its high calling. Love them even more. Love the church even more through that. Jesus said, the word says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Take good care of it, Ian, and you'll be in the very center of the loving heart of Jesus. And now finally I ask that you... Uh, reflect on the pastor's ministry as a soldier of Christ. Because as we move through this passage, there's an inescapable smell of battle in the air. I was severely tested, says Paul. The Holy Spirit warned me, he continues, 
Savage wolves, be on your guard. Remember, for three years I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. The word warning there actually is taken from uh, the Greek classroom. A teacher wagging his finger at his pupils and warning them if, that, if they uh, do that again, what, what will happen to them? Yeah, should bring back many happy memories, Ian. <laughs> but but whenever, whenever Paul did it, he did it with tears. And I notice that tears figure three times in this passage. That's because pastors are vulnerable people. Did you know that? If they're not, they shouldn't be in this job. It was Thornton Wilder who said that in Christ's kingdom, only wounded soldiers can serve. Charles Spurgeon once received a note from a former student confessing that his ministry was a failure. He wasn't reaching the people he was called to serve. What more can I do, he asked. Try tears, was Spurgeon's brief reply. There are tears of joy, of course, to witness one another putting their trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, being born anew of the Spirit of God, that otherwise intractable thing we call human nature, transformed by the power and love of Jesus. It's wondrous joy to see those fledglings grow to maturity in Christ and others finding peace in adversity. Relief from pain, healing from illness, and even to see the whole church sometimes swept by the power of the Holy Spirit, catching its breath in awe and wonderment at the glory of God and coming alive to adventurous mission in the world. All these things will bring tears of joy to the pastor's heart. But there'll be tears of anguish too. We have, my wife Margaret and I, sometimes wept deep into the night over a breakdown in the fellowship, two members at each other's throats, or a sudden loss of appetite in a key worker. And what of the hardness of the hearts in the world in which we try to sow the gospel seed. If we can't weep for that, how can we expect to bear fruit in ministry? But it's those who sow in tears who reap in joy. Some of you will be familiar with the work of J.B. Phillips, one of the pioneers of translating the Bible into today's English. I still think his letters to young church is one of the finest of our modern translations of the New Testament epistles. But Jack Phillips was a man of tears. Our paths didn't cross until towards the end of his life when he would quietly and humbly slip at the last minute into the back of uh, my congregation. When he died, I was given the inestimable privilege of choosing from his library which of his books uh, I would like to have. So I've had the privilege these many years since of thinking his thoughts after him. His, his last book was a collection of his uh, autobiographical notes entitled The Wounded Healer. In fact, he didn't live to finish it. It was finished by his wife and a Baptist minister named Edwin Robinson. 
But in it, he revealed his own deep personal struggles. But what a, an image of pastoral ministry lies in that title of his book, The Wounded Healer. Ian comes to you today, not as the big pastor fix-it of so many expectations, but as a wounded healer. He knows what it is to be tried and tested, even to be wounded in the house of his friends. He comes in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus to deny himself, to take up his cross daily, and follow him. Because ministry is always cross-shaped. Well, all that finger-wagging, all those tears, the wolves, the wounds, you may well ask who would want to do this job. <laughs> Listen to how the story ends. When Paul had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him, what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Through it all, they loved him. At the end of it, they loved him still. Ian and Diane, my prayer is that you will experience the same love of God's people, which I can tell you is a treasure of inestimable value. Now, there's an interesting little footnote to this event at the beginning of Acts 21. When Luke the Chronicler writes, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. Clearly there was a reluctance in both parties that this separation should take place. The people's love for Paul was matched by his love for them. The mutual love of pastor and people is one of the most effective tools the church possesses. I mean tools of mission and evangelism. In fact, I can't think of a, a fruitful church in these areas that I know of, and, and I know a fair few, where it doesn't exist. It is an absolute must. I said mistakenly a moment ago that this was the end of the story. Uh, actually, it was only the end of the beginning. I don't mean the end of the beginning of the sermon. But, 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 but you must listen to what the Apostle Peter has to say to another group of pastors in chapter 5, verse 4 of his first letter. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. I'm asking you to keep in view the day when you, Ian, and I shall stand on another rostrum to give an account of our stewardship. And I pray that we will hear our beloved pastor-in-chief say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. This is a great day. But what a day that will be. Amen.
Thank you. Thank you so much, Philip. Just so many little gems in that, and so much for Ian, and so much for us, that fabulous little phrase there, the fruitful, loving relationship between a pastor and the church is the most effective uh, weapon that the church has. What a great little thought that is. And I hope for all, every single uh, member of the church and for Ian and Diane that we can go forward with those thoughts ringing in our minds so that we really do do what we've been charged to do and we declare God's majesty. So let's end our service now by singing those two songs. We declare your majesty and then 10,000 reasons. Please stand.
Please be seated. Ian is going to round off the service for us. Well, it just remains for me to say thank you very much indeed uh, for being here today. 
Uh, I'd like to say thank you to all of those of you who have travelled from afar and from those of you who are local. If you are local and uh, you've just come back or you uh, just want to know more, please do come back okay, next Sunday. Right? This is not the finish. This is just the start. All right? So uh, welcome to all of you. I would just like to just say a huge thank you to the uh, church leadership team and to everyone here and to some who can't be here today. I'd like to close today's service by a word of prayer and by using the words from Hebrews 13. Let's just bow our heads for prayer. Dear loving Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that we can come today to worship you, our Lord. And Lord, as we leave here today, may we not stop singing your praises this week. Lord, help us to know that you are our God. That not only are you our God, but you are our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Lord, we do thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that we can come to a place like this and worship you freely. Lord, we thank you for all the words that have been said. We thank you for the prayers that have been said. But Lord, I just for a moment just want to remember Ken and Phil before you today who can't be here. Lord, I just ask that in some small way that you would just reach out to them day by day and week by week. Lord, we just thank you for bringing us to this point. But Lord, would you please just lead us through your Holy Spirit and through your word. Lord, lead us step by step. Lord, it's going to be a great adventure. But Lord, just take us and use us. And may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us in pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and forever. Amen. Thank you.